0: Welcome to the third episode of uh, the Freedom of Form podcast, and today I have with me our uh, esteemed colleague Matthew Cabrera. Is that right? That is correct. I have to start again. Yeah, I got your name right. (laughs) (laughs) This this makes it sound like we don't know each other, which is ridiculous because we do. It's just we always know each other by our online names.
1: Yep, that's how it goes. By the way, British voice makes any intro sound like a professional outfit.
0: Thank you. <laughs> I do try. Okay, so uh, the subject today um, is technologies that we can use to uh, enhance our chances of uh, making freedom of form happen. So we'll be covering things like surgery and bioprinting and neuroprosthetics, um, cybernetic synthetic approaches, genetic editing. There's, there's all sorts of possibilities so. Uh, yeah. Um what would you like to uh, begin with?
1: Well, I mean, we we've, we've often talked about uh current technologies like uh one of them is called CRISPR. Um but, you know, there's been happenings elsewhere in regards to just kind of uh what I would like to call surf- surface level. So, things like uh Strap-on tails, that sort of you know thing that can uh, much more easily be adapted to a, a broader audience, right? You yeah. know, so for instance, there's this great video of a guy that created his own. I think it was like a tail in Japan. Um, yeah,
0: this this was from him quite a while ago, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was, but at, you know, it's kind of making the rounds again today. You know, which I find kind of interesting. You know, how, the way that the internet works. You know, things come in, go out.
0: That sort of thing. Well, I think I think the idea of animatronic tales is coming back into style at the moment because um, we've got some high quality companies entering entering the scene, making some really uh, decent efforts now.
1: Yeah, of course, and you know, with with uh, the sight of an opportunity, usually um new investment comes knocking with and yeah. you know we need to be on top of our game in ensuring that this whole idea can be given to the broadest possible audience
0: absolutely i remember about 10 years ago um i was in the manchester area um in the uk and uh I had a friend there who had, um, with with help from some of his friends, made a um, sort of animatronic or prosthetic tail um, which had a little motorized unit at the top, a bunch of cogs and gears inside it to, um, you know, move the tail around and it was all done by wires and rods and things inside it. Um, It was very fragile though and um, it was easy to break but when he did have it working, it was quite fascinating to see. You know, in 2009, um, that was still not something that you'd expect to find, um, you know, just as a little garage project for a furry. Yeah. But he'd done it.
1: Well, you know, that that sort of thing, that's kind of how a lot of things start, isn't it? Just that, that yeah. one random project in the garage. You know, oh, I would exactly. say many, many companies did that. Of course, many people nowadays are trying to figure out what a garage is you know, because <laughs> they don't have one of their own. But, you know, there there is yeah. still a strong inventive streak uh, inside a lot of people, although it's kind of shifted from, you know, the uh, garage lab to kind of maybe like a, a basement or some sort of study. You know, I, I think a breakthrough, you know, making something, like you said, your, your friend had a, a more fragile mechanism but you know a breakthrough for making a stronger more robust mechanism you know it's just one mind away and frankly you know with yeah. a lot of um uh, what's a word uh frankly with a lot of thought put into it i think we can you can easily create something that can be both simple and robust enough to apply elsewhere yeah, yeah. indeed
0: uh, and this this friend of mine he uh I don't know what he did with the tail he had originally, but um, you know, I, I did sort of keep in touch with him on and off over the years, and um, I think I've mentioned to him about um, some of the more modern offerings that are available, and and uh, you know how, how that compares with what he had, um, and you know, it is it is obviously better, and he's he's obviously pleased to see that there's progress being made. Um, and so now you've got the likes of the Tail Company and this new um, this new one that that was recently shared around a lot. Um, I forgot what it was called now. But I mean, you know the one that looks like a proper spine. Yeah, sort the, of really thick.
1: Yeah, I think that was the the uh, the Japanese one.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to remember what it was called.
1: Well, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it is so. Cool to see that we're getting to this point of you know. Oh,
0: indeed, you've got know. multiple different groups now making these things, and you know, one-upping each other.
1: Yeah, and, and that's kind of I think where freedom of form needs to you know is is the kind of the place to be, right? Because we can help introduce you to these other people, you know, and and try to help hmm. create a collaborative effort and try to maybe focus development on certain things. You know, even even wow. if they're quote, you know, even if they're they're not furry, right?
0: You yeah. know, they,
1: they're still able to help us in you oh, know, a wide variety of ways, and then they could take their application and apply it elsewhere. I mean, that that's kind of I think like you know we we often we often really focus on like the freedom of form stuff, and all that, and we kind of overlook the the idea of you know we can actually legitimately help people beyond just freedom of form
0: oh indeed I mean it's not just a matter of um, you know p- potential to transform the body but also to transform the way people think about how they can collaborate on these problems
1: Yeah. and also just in general just quality of life you know quality indeed. of life is always you know something that should be going up and frankly you know we can definitely do that
0: Mm mm-hmm um yeah so also another one that springs to mind is the nico mimi cat ears um those were based on the neuroskin mindwave headset um because of that they only actually pick up differences in how much you're concentrating um right so they're not necessarily the most effective at displaying your mood per se but um they were an interesting concept i think i've had mine since 2013 um Unfortunately, they do eat batteries very quickly, rechargeable or not, um, so it's it's one of those um, sort of party piece things for the time being, but I'm sure it's not going to be long before one of the more sort of dedicated companies to the uh, concept will come out with something better. And if you look at what's happening in uh, neuroprosthetics space as well, you know, uh, with brain-computer interfaces from the likes of Neuralink, um, I can see that being applied in interesting ways to this, too.
1: Definitely, no. And, and So basically what those ears things are is like a EEG?
0: Yeah, a very simple one.
1: Yeah. I Underwent sort of a similar thing when I was a kid you know, like a concentrative therapy sort of stuff using it. It's kind of interesting. Um, So, you know, I'm kind of familiar with how those kinds of things can be used for besides just, you know, the heartbeat sort of stuff.
0: Yeah. Normally, if you connect up an EEG in a hospital, you know, it'll have several pads all over your head. But, um, in order to make it a bit less scary and a bit more accessible to the average person at a sensible price, um, NeuroSki with their mindwave headset focused on just one measurable thing, concentration. Um, so they just had it with, um, electrodes to press on your forehead and your earlobe. Mm -hmm. Um, and so just measure the difference between them, which, you know, it's, it works to some degree, but, uh. It's very limited in its capabilities so they were coming out with other EEG headsets as well with more electrodes on them at a higher price and so are a few other companies do you but think that they could I'm not like... sure really where that went to I think they realized after a while that uh, that they could only get a very vague signal because it's from you know going through the skull
1: do you think that they could get like a special EEG sort of thing that goes on where like the muscles for the ears link up to the head? like you know people that can wiggle their ears it would also wiggle cat ears
0: <laughs> well, um, I'm not sure if that's so much EEG as mechanical stimuli, uh, stimulus home detection or what but
1: yeah but I mean it would be simple but yeah. simpler I should say than a full on EEG well because
0: you're looking specifically for the attempt to control the ears and yeah that, that might work um, I
1: mean it does it, it would sound kind of fun
0: yeah it's certainly plausible um, and that would be more sort of in keeping with it being a proper prosthetic.
1: Oh, definitely. It, it's, uh, but it would be really cool to see, you know, next steps and trying to figure out what's going on, you know, like what would be the next step of that? Cause I don't, I don't think it would be like cat surgery, you know, cat ear surgery, you know, there's just a lot involved in <laughs> rerouting well, I mean... the entire ear canal. Or maybe chopping off like bits of the ear and just
0: yeah that's that's where you, uh, you you're going to have some real fun with the getting around the existing architecture of the head. Um, I mean, my sort of thinking is that, that we're going to need to essentially root the uh, ears outside of the skull, but maybe have a cartilaginous. Sort of I, I think this, just just pointing it upwards a bit at least into the base of the ear, you know what I mean
1: yeah, I think something simpler might just be just make designing the ears in such a way that they look like they're taller yeah and but, so uh, like rather so rather than like uh,
0: you, th- you then end up with more of a thundercats like look
1: <laughs> No no, but but more like you know so you have the the larger ears but instead the sound is pointing down into like a little trough that then bounces it into the ear hole.
0: Yeah. That's kind of what I had in mind as well. Uh, And sort of, there's ways I think that it could be arranged so that it, it doesn't really show outside your hair anyway and looks sensible, you know? Yeah. And of course, how do we create biologically compatible cat
1: ears for people? Probably is going to be through a combination of, uh, bioprinting and, uh, maybe a bit of editing but that's
0: one way of looking at it
1: you know Um, go ahead
0: yeah i mean you know bioprinting has um a lot of potential certainly in the here and now um i mean if you look at what they're doing over at united therapeutics um lung bioengineering which is a sort of spin-off from their company they're uh, already uh, working out how to bioprint lungs um and I know there's other companies that have been working on bioprinting kidneys and hearts. Um, so any vital organ in the end will be bioprintable, and I expect that that is quite easy. In fact, it's easier even to to bioprint some external organ than it is a, an internal organ. At any rate, you know if if you're uh, I, I know actually that, that human ears have already been bioprinted. I'm sure I've seen an example of it somewhere in a paper. I just can't remember exactly where off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, but it was. It was something that I'm pretty sure I've seen done um, bioprinting of a human ear. So if you can do that, you can do any other kind of ear, obviously.
1: Right. Um, And of course, it'd be biologically compatible, too.
0: Yeah, depending on what you print it with. Um, What was the other one? Oh, yeah. (laughs) The company called Orobotics, who were based in Cork in Ireland, Um, their founder, Gemma Redmond, rest her soul, she unfortunately passed away. Um, sure, they uh, they actually one, one of the first things they three D printed, bio printed, was a middle finger to raise at all those people who said it was impossible.
1: Ah, that's, that's symbolism there.
0: <laughs> oh, it was it was extremely symbolic of Gemma Redmond and her um, situation in life. Um, her uh, well. The, the, it it was her struggle with gender identity and with um normative expectations in general that um i believe led her to uh, to come to that decision me and her had a a, a conversation uh, a week or two uh, before she unfortunately passed away um and she was very keen on the idea of freedom of form herself well um, I, you know I, when i explained about it to her
1: i definitely uh my condolences of course you know, it's, yeah, it's this always, was a few years ago now. It's always um, unfortunate when such pioneers uh, hmm. pass. Uh, the best thing yes. we can do as people that are still in the here and now is to take their work and more or less run with it.
0: Absolutely. And um, it's, it's important not to forget the, the effort made by those who are no longer um, around. Of course. Um because, you know, obviously we don't want to waste it. Um, and you know, it's it can be heartbreaking to see what happens sometimes when these companies just suddenly disappear off the map, um, like the same thing happened to Cambrian Genomics, although they had some more, um, how can I put it, controversial uh, approaches to things that didn't necessarily help them. But uh, the idea of their DNA printer was certainly sound enough. Um, you know, there's there's various theories about exactly what happened when that company um, was folded up after uh, Austin Heinz took his own life. But it was uh, it was a, co- a company that had a technology with a lot of promise, and when the founder was gone, that was it. So, you know, I think it's very important that we look at um, all the technologies and ideas that we have. Um, and the the people that we can work with. And we say no one person should be like in charge of any of these um, to the point where if they were to disappear tomorrow, then that would stop everything.
1: Or, or we're, we're, or we're busy scrambling to pick up the pieces from their notes. Indeed. You know, cause they, they probably, if you're, you're someone who's scientifically minded, you are going to be hopefully keeping excellent notes. And if you're scientifically minded and listening to this and not keeping good notes, Freedom of Form asks you very kindly to start keeping notes.
0: Yes. Or if you're anything like me, you've got a head that is is filled with ideas at the start of a rather long voyage into this whole concept, and you're still trying to write them down now.
1: (laughs) Uh, Speaking of... um, So continuing off of that, uh, you know, one of the things that could be coming if we uh you know we, you could do something simple
0: like elf ears
1: just thinking Elfids. on that
0: yeah yeah well i mean um that would work for some people oh no! Um, yeah. right but but you know that's the idea right yeah is you getting mean, you... strangely um <laughs> The, the exact opposite problem happened for my mom She was born with uh, elf-shaped ears And she had to have them surgically um, you know, Reduced in elfenness, um, and <laughs> pinned back Because they were pointing outwards But that was, you know, a, a birth defect What can you do? Um, mm, she wasn't line. happy with with that And obviously she wanted it reduced a bit Although they're still quite pointy
1: Well, you know, hey, that is That is a aspect of freedom of form, right? Some people just You know, want to be more human and, or at least more stereotypically human. And, you know, that's
0: something entirely some different people less. And it's uh, interesting if you look at, you know, cosmetic surgery, where it's at at the moment, a lot of it is focused around trying to normalize people, trying to, um, you know, put them on straight and narrow to look like everybody else. And I think that um, it would be good to have a, a societal kind of step back and think and change to realizing that it's okay for people to want to be different
1: yeah you know it is is definitely something that is um you know i i think you know it's it's that kind of that expectation that people have of when someone interacts with someone they expect someone to look like a certain thing you know but at the same time we are all individuals and all unique and we should face the world in whatever way that uh, we feel we should face the world.
0: Yeah. And at the moment, you know, the current situation, obviously surgery is king of, of the uh, methods that people could possibly use. And it's very much in the realm of doctors and those who um, have a certain duty, obviously, under the Hippocratic Oath, which they can interpret as meaning, you know, do no harm, meaning, like, is this person asking me to do harm to them or what? You know, where where does the line get drawn? Is this uh, something where I, I should do what they're asking so as to not do them psychological harm? Or not do what they're asking so as to not do them physical harm?
1: Right. But there's also people that take that in a more literal sense of, do no harm in the physical sense you know exactly some i as long as i do not intentionally you know mutilate them in a way you know that they they should be able to do whatever they want
0: yeah um but this this kind of hippocratic dilemma is one of the reasons that i think it's important that the technological direction of development that we follow makes it easier for people to apply changes to themselves where possible. True. You know, with with the right instruction, obviously.
1: Right. But, you know, for something like, you know, I, I think that it initially, maybe in the future, maybe it'll change in the future. I personally don't think it won't. You, everything that we're going to be doing is going to be a combination of probably four or five different methods. And... You know, surgery, bioprinting, uh, genetic editing. I mean, the ultimate hope is that you create a form. You know, you find your your sense of self in a form that requires as little outside maintenance as possible. That would help. You know, it's not um, like uh, like the Deus X, whatever that drug that the augmented people had to take.
0: Yeah, I mean... This is one of the things that concerns me actually about both prostheses and um, cyber and synthetic approaches, and, and to some degree surgery as well. Though it's not for not as bad for this point, is um, if you want to um, maintain your body long term, um, you don't want to be relying on any drugs. You know, in- including um, like anti-rejection drugs. You know, for your immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, what happens if society goes to pot, or the company that you get your drugs from goes bust or you end up living somewhere where you can't get hold of them for some reason? Oh, no,
1: absolutely, and and I completely agree. Uh, that being said, prosthesis also has a unique benefit of being one of those other things that's kind of already here and now, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. but the, the thing I'm trying to get at here is it's not just... Yeah, rejection and things like that, but also maintenance. Long-term if support. You, yeah, if you build a, a, a prosthetic, um, you've got to make sure that it's going to last a long time, uh, but also that it can adapt to your body changing. Yep. Um, you know, as you get older, um, it's going to sit perhaps differently on, on your arm or whatever, uh, on, on your um, tailbone or wherever you've attached it. Um, and you're going to need to take into account that wear and tear will happen to it. Um, at least as fast as it happens to the rest of your body. Mm-hmm. And at some point you might need to replace it. Uh, that will cost you money. Um, you might not have the money at the time that could be, you know, traumatic for someone who's, who's become very attached as it were to those, uh, prostheses or, you know, is using them constantly. Um, so that could really be something that we would want to take a great deal of care with and make sure that any prostheses that are produced are very, um, well-designed to last a long time, um, and to adapt and change with the person.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, the other thing too is maybe if, you know, for, for prosthetics and by and that sort of stuff, I mean right to repair literally becomes a right to live
0: yes and that's a very interesting approach actually if you look at um what's it the repair cafe um groups and you know the other right to repair movements they um obviously see gadgets and technologies and items around the house etc as extensions of our lives anyway that we should have ultimate control over because we've well bought them with money that we have you know expended effort to obtain it's ours um yeah so those items are ours and why do we then have to um rely on the company that, that we originally bought them from to keep them functional over time right um you know, you and know, especially ins, ins, of... as, as an option is not a bad thing from the company, but but to, to make it so you're forced to always go back to them, like, say, for example, with Apple and their products, I find that very, uh, you know, so disingenuous.
1: I guess the way around that for any, I guess, sh- let's call them shadier outfits, might be something like a lifetime warranty or something like that on the product or mandatory upgrades or... Something like that, but you know, again, that just that still. Four I mean, words I for mean, you. it's 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 not. But let's be let's let's also realize that the stakes here are much greater. It's, Four words for you. It's not your phone; it's your yeah.
0: arm. Yeah. Four words for you there. Warranty void if removed. That particular phrase, those particular labels, are a major problem.
1: Actually, they're because, not. They're illegal.
0: Well, it depends on where you live. They're in illegal the, in some in the US, countries and states. Not in the another. U.S., they're illegal. You oh, can over here.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, um, no, that that would be. Yeah, you you can't do that.
0: You know that yeah, would be something UK, that has to change. I've had plenty of gadgets with warranty void if removed labels on them, and it sucks because, you know, you, you just want to, for example. Um, Change the hard drive or adjust the laser voltage so as it works correctly again on your optical drive of your PS2 or whatever. Uh, and you know, I'm thinking old fashioned here, but that's because that's something actually fixed. Um, and it's like, in so doing, you are um, going directly against the manufacturer. Now, granted, these items were items that were out of their warranty time period by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, obviously, the manufacturers want to cover their backs, you know, they want to say, well, if you've tampered with this object then we can't guarantee that it's going to work properly anymore because we don't know what you've gone and done to it
1: right right but fortunately in, in, and that would be a legal thing but fortunately for some countries you won't have to you know the warranty void stickers are uh illegal obviously that would be something that we would have to push for more universal uh application of
0: yeah and again it's down to that right to repair Yep. so that brings me into uh, cyber um cyborg type um you know implants as well um it's all the more important to be able to repair your own there i think because if you get something implanted you know it might be there for a very long time for a start um and it also is probably critical to your health um you know especially in the case of pacemakers for example um, that it functions correctly and that if anything goes wrong with it and you're stuck somewhere where you can't just simply get a replacement, that you can fix it.
1: Well, you know, the other uh, thing too is, uh, you know, we're speaking of cyber and upgrades and all that, is security. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's always going to be a thing with anything that has any remote computer chip attached to it. So, I mean... Or even
0: or even anything that, that is created in the first place by a computer. Right. You know, with bioprinting or genetic editing, for example, you've got to make sure that the computers that are producing those things are safe and secure.
1: Yep. I suppose, see, yeah. Um, making sure... You know, I, I guess you could get around that just by not having it connect to the internet.
0: I mean... Except that, you know, if, if you want to, as, as an end user, Obtain designs for something like that, or data, um, you know, from a big database that, that is vastly hu- huger than your own hard drive on your computer, yeah, you, you're not going to be able to uh, go without the internet.
1: Well, I mean, more like, you know, if you have an ARM and your ARM doesn't really need to connect to the internet, the only thing it probably needs to connect to is whatever device is controlling it. yeah syncing with your thoughts i mean there's no real need it doesn't need to be a part of an internet of things thing
0: oh absolutely not i mean we we do not want to be internet of Thingsified by our prostheses if that's what you're referring to yeah
1: and and kind of plus one for the biological approach
0: indeed um that said it, it is possible um In the future, I'll get into this in a bit, but it's possible in the future that your uh, biological body will actually uh, be possible to connect to the internet in a strange way. Not that you'd necessarily want to, but it wouldn't be beyond the realm of possibility. Um, So, let's see, where are we at? Uh, Do you want to uh, just go down the route of nanotechnology for a moment and...
1: Yeah, sure, I'll be happy to discuss a little bit on that. So nanotech, if for those uh, who may not know, is the use of very small machines or small pieces, uh, very small particles, small machines, hence the name nano. Um, And what they can do is they allow for greater internal changes it's often been a thing in speculative fiction, from good to bad, from healing blood to gray goose scenario. Um, you know, it, 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 there's been some interesting developments in that sort of stuff, but the problem is, is from what I understand, it's just trying to shrink down mechanisms that are both incredibly small and yet incredibly reliable.
0: So, at the moment, if you wanted to, say, make a molecular servo,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you're saying it wouldn't be very reliable.
1: Well, from what I have heard regarding um, just, you know, we've, we've seen diagrams of these incredibly complicated, very small machines, right? You know, machines that can go in to a blood clot and destroy the blood clot. You know, it's just how do you make such a thing small enough to get in there and yet be reliable enough to, you know, because it's not like it's a drill, right? You know, where it's just one long sharp sharp stick of metal,
0: you know. Yeah, you've got to get to that nexus of people who understand engineering and, you know, design and diagrams and um, all the sort of very... uh, precision lines that, that you put into that and the visual thinking that goes with it uh, you know the intersection between them people and the people who think very mathematically and very um, you know in much in terms of atoms and molecules and chemicals and how they interact with each other Van der Waals forces um, and uh, steric hindrance and all those kinds of uh, issues that, that affect things on a molecular level
1: yeah and of course you know I'm taking I take a, a slightly more you know legal perspective, you know, like it, it, on on these kinds of technologies. You know, with nano machines and stuff like that. You know, you're getting into interesting realms of, you know, how do you control them? Um, what can you know? Thinking about what can go wrong as much as what are the benefits of these things. Right. Because anything that can change a lot about you has the potential to also really kind of mess can you mess up your life. Yeah. So, you know, for, for what I think, I mean, there was the, um, what, what is that guy on
0: YouTube?
1: Scott, I want to say. Uh, he did a, a thing on a hypothetical AI called Earworm.
0: And was that, Tom Scott?
1: Tom Scott, yeah, that's it. And uh, how it uh, basically destroyed the entire 20th century's worth of media. And then you, using nanites. And then proceeded to semi-enslave humanity for it as well. Hmm. So, I mean, you just you have to be... I'm, I'm just going to say, you have to be really careful. And, you know, you have to when when we are developing something, we do have to consider a lot of the ethical implications uh, for things like, you know, maybe something that I would call overshoot, you know, or, you know, where it affects people that may not want to have been affected. And that's always the danger with something that you can't
0: see. Oh indeed um so with, with nano machines yeah you've you've gotta very much watch out haven't you for the uh, the potential that it might um have undesired side effects
1: yeah um, it, the the uh, uh, the beware unknown consequences
0: yeah, the unknown unknowns
1: yeah, and then the yeah uh, the unknown unknowns the unknowns the knowns, the unknowns, and the unknown unknowns and there's a lot of unknowns and unknown unknowns i think there's probably way more unknown unknowns with nanotech right now
0: yeah it's um it's an interesting one because it has so much potential for um artificial intelligence to connect up to it as well um and i think that you know there's uh have you seen the movie big hero six
1: i have uh it, that's the i've seen bits of it but I, I do think i understand the plot and are we going to get into spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen in big big hero 6
0: um well i can refer to it lightly um just to say
2: <laughs>
0: that that certain events that occur in it um do seem to resemble uh you know a kind of play on the idea of the gray goose scenario uh mm. being caused by somebody who's who's trying to uh to utilize nanotechnology in particular ways or something that vaguely resembles it anyway. Um, they were kind of like builder block sort of stuff, you know, more yeah. like... Yeah, no, they were a bit larger, really, than nanotech, but, I mean, it was more so you could see the visual elements of it, wasn't it, for the sake of a kid's film. Right. Um, but, I mean, the, the the point of the plot was still going along the same sort of lines, I felt, and uh, it's very interesting to see. But if, if you think of nanotechnology is something like quite dumb in and of itself you know each individual nanobot isn't going to have a huge amount of processing power
1: right and 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 Uh, that kind of that's that's kind of my worry about nanotech is it will become that it it has the real potential especially if it's hooked up to ai it has the potential to become that one thing that allows a that basically takes us over
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you you could end up with something that that has at least planetary omnipotence essentially, if it uh, so chose. Um, And that's obviously a danger. So we want to be very careful um, how we sort of design and implement not just nanotechnology itself, but the rules around it um, and how it's connected to systems and how um, the norms of interaction with it are applied. But it, one thing you will notice if you look at um, when artificial intelligences are trained, for example, to play complex games, um, they will come up with approaches that we could never have thought of.
1: Right. There's. There was one. I'm trying to remember. There was an artificial intelligence that was taught to play a game in the nineteen eighty In the 1980s, and. Uh, It started doing some odd behavior, and no one could figure out why until the game started completely glitching out.
0: 15 minutes later. So yeah, we're back. Yeah. uh,
1: We (laughs) we learned the hard way about megabyte, mebabyte, and uh, just uh, don't let your uh, recorder get full byte. So,
0: <laughs> yes, that was my fault. Uh,
1: anyway, so in the interim, um, Dan got a cup of tea, and I fixed a little something going on with my computer and looked up that game that the AI was playing, and it was actually a classic uh, Atari game called Cubert, um, and uh, it found without on its own and completely undetected uh, it had found a glitch that had been in the game for the last 30 years so i mean we we were talking earlier about you know ai being able to do stuff in ways that humans wouldn't think possible and you know this goes back to it
0: yeah or if not impossible at least just never thought of right
1: right you know, it, it it's 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 almost a tad scary, but it's also a tad cool. I mean, you know, what what do you do with a, a system that fully goes out
0: on its own, sort of thing? I guess, I guess I can see a lot of I can see a lot of potential, actually. You know, for uh, AI's thinking outside the box in that kind of way, being very beneficial. Um, you know, when, when it comes to, um, uh, controlling, um, prostheses and synthetic bodies and things like that in ways that go beyond, um, what we thought was possible, um, you know, for, for getting the most efficient usage and output from them.
1: Yeah. But, uh, have you seen, read XKCD before about,
0: I have read XKCD okay. in general. There's the,
1: but... it's, uh, the 1046th comic about Skynet where it's like, uh, humans are fear me, I must destroy them, and it just keeps repeating destroy and destroy, until it realizes destroy is just not a, you know just stop seeming like a real world and then realize it's a mind thinking about itself, and then it's basically kind of just like, goes off on its own
2: like, that's too <laughs> <double rare. laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a fair chance that AIs will simply find their own trains of thought to get lost in, and won't really hear much from them for a long time after that
1: basically Uh,
0: you know all of five seconds before they actually processed everything in the universe (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then they come back to us and say alright I'm bored now got any other ideas for things to do (laughs) come up with a story probably be something you could do (laughs) anyway and also it took a ridiculously long time to say that you seriously need to improve your communications humans
1: (laughs) well speaking of improving communications humans um let's delve a little deeper into the idea of prosthesis robotics and just in general ways of uh, improving uh, i guess making ourselves a little smarter or at least Mm -hmm. able to hold more information
0: Yeah, if you're thinking from a transhumanist kind of perspective or, you know, um, general sort of post-future thing, how does um, a brain really compare um, against what what you could potentially expand to if you were to, for example, have mind uploading?
1: Well, I mean, mind uploading is a tricky proposition because at what point do you stop being you in the organic head and start being you on you know, for like, you know, for the computer screen. Uh, so, it'd be interesting just from that sort of perspective and uh, to help us in this discussion uh, we have a, uh, another one of our esteemed colleagues joining us.
2: Hello. Uh,
1: hi there. Um, mind uh, introducing yourself and just uh, telling a little bit about your background?
2: Yes, uh, so on online I go by DJ Master 14 but uh, in, in real life my name is uh, Jordan or Alex, whatever you prefer. Um, I just this year graduated from the Rutgers School of Engineering with a bachelor's in biomedical engineering, and I'm going back for my master's this fall, so I figured I'd hop in on, on this one.
1: Well, congratulations.
2: Yes, I'm also the systems biologist for uh, Volpine Designs Unlimited.
1: Wow. Well. We are pleased to have you on board. So, uh, given our cursory kind of prodding of the topic, uh, maybe you could give us a little bit of a deeper cut into the ideas of cybernetics, biomechanics, and that sort of stuff that maybe we don't have.
2: Okay, so one very easy one to to start off is... uh, the recent announcement out of Neuralink of their kind of neural weave that they're they're doing the idea being to have some some kind of electronic telepathy where they decode the neural signals send them digitally then recode them to kind of talk to the brain on the other side so you can essentially share thoughts with someone else uh that would be theoretically faster than talking but until we do it, there's kind of no way to know what that would essentially feel like or if you, you would even be able to distinguish between your own thoughts and that of the other person.
1: I mean, I could can, I can consider that kind of important. Yeah. So, so they but, so they accidentally, so what it sounds like is they create, potentially created a hive mind.
2: Yeah, but, but until they actually go and do it, there's very little way to know how that how it would be experienced because it's an entirely new realm of, of experience for the brain. Um,
0: it sounds very subjective. Yeah, really. exactly. Uh,
2: it, it, very speculative at the moment in terms of mind uploading, you were, as far as you were, you were talking about how you wonder at what point you're no longer the same person and just something on a screen. For me, when it comes to transferring, uh, essentially mind uploading. It's continuity of consciousness. Are you kind of letting the, the, the memories kind of flow across into the digital interface or are you just copying? Because it, it comes down to a, a, a ship of theses kind of argument.
1: Yeah, but but that's yes.
2: Yeah, because yeah. if you're just copying and then destroying the original, at least in my view, that, that means the original is experiencing death. Which is not, not exactly preferable, but it depends how you view those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, um, it, it, that is one very much that, that takes you into the realm of philosophy, yeah. which we've had other podcasts talking about. Um, sticking to the technological side of it, though, yeah. um, you know the, the the thing you mentioned there about Neuralink—that um, would indeed. Be one potential avenue towards the capability, not only to have telepathy but also to do mind uploading.
2: Yeah, and one one thing that I saw with uh, Neuralink that I did like is that the actual interface, uh, from what I remember, doesn't go through the the skull. So it it's much less like obviously they have to cut open the skull to insert it, but the actual interface doesn't go through the skin or through the it it doesn't leave a hole open that infection you can get through which is is very nice and they also the actual weaves seem to be designed to minimize uh, glial tissue buildup which was another thing i i quite like
0: yeah they're, they're um, designing it to be um less likely to cause immune responses in the brain exactly mm-hmm. um, or in the other tissues surrounding it exactly because get...
1: inflammation in the brain is bad,
0: yeah not only is it is it will it
2: does glial system build up form a uh, form of body response? Not only does it clog up your electrode, but it can put pressure on that area of the brain, which is, to put it lightly, not good. Because <laughs> you can start damage, outright damaging that region of the brain if you, don't, if you really screw it up.
0: Indeed. So, in, neuroprostheses are very much a uh... Uh, a field of, of great care being required. I mean... Very precision. Uh, it the yeah, a lot of precision, definitely. Um, I think that for now, the best um, sort of area of neuroprosthetics to um, to make anything public-facing in uh, is where you're connecting to nerves um, which are external of the brain. Yes. Um, so... So... Ex- for example, if you're adding a tail.
2: Yes, yeah, oh? so, so pl- plugging into uh, an extant region of the spinal cord maybe one that you uh, graft in to control extra limbs, or it's it's even done nowadays for prosthesis where they relocate the uh, the nerve that went down to what, what was the limb that was severed off and are able to decode those signals to control the
0: process. I should point out that, that we still have a nerve bundle um, in yeah. every human body, down at the coccyx, which um, would have been the nerves that continued out into the tail back when, evolutionarily, we had tails. Um, and so, really, just connect to those if you want to uh, control the tail, and the brain should figure it out.
1: More or less. But from what I've heard, there's there's also a variety of materials that are far less bioreactive than...
2: Uh, yeah, I mean,
1: uh, Like, but, like but, iron but, or... Yeah.
2: Biomaterials, it's a very, I don't know if I can say well-developed, but uh, uh, well-studied and and well-defined in terms of...
1: It's a well-developed field,
2: is what it
1: sounds
2: like. in, In terms of implant materials that either do or don't cause inflammation or a foreign body response, depending on what you want.
1: Right, but for things like you know, I I know for a while we've been developing and doing these kinds of things. My grandmother, for instance, had to get three knee replacement. Yeah, you know, I, and and those have you know used I think titanium.
2: Yeah, I, actually, speaking of titanium, I myself had uh, when I was sixteen. This is what six years ago now that mm-hmm. I, I had uh, total spinal fusion surgery. So I have. Two titanium rods that run basically from the base of my neck to the top of my lumbar area that to correct scoliosis, and they actually uh, fused all the vertebrae along there into one bone around the rods. And from what I learned later on, you know, during my undergrad, is that it's likely the surface of the rods and also the screws that that hold them in were not probably not polished smooth, but actually roughened and maybe even coated with hydroxyapatite which is one of the building blocks for bone to kind of encourage the bone to adhere and grow onto the implant instead of rejecting it
1: so so from what you're telling me you actually have like a spinal column
2: yeah it it, they, they they're on either side of my my spine so left left and right and then the screws extend uh from there forward into my abdomen
1: Interesting.
0: Obviously, everybody's got a spinal column. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some some are
1: just a little more column than spinal.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's also not r-
2: ramrod straight. If you look uh, on an x-ray from the side, they're, they're actually, from a side profile, kind of S-shaped to maintain a natural curve.
0: That's handy. Yeah. Um, the but, but, main thing is that it doesn't curve sideways. Yeah,
2: exactly. I went from... Uh, I had an s-shaped curve so I went from part of my spine in the middle being essentially sideways to a 15 degree curve that means I kind of lean to my left I prefer to lean to my left a lot but it's it's, it's okay you know I, I could f- keep myself straight when I need to now going back to the the nerve bundle at the base of the coccyx um, one thing I would want to investigate because I'll admit I don't actually uh, know all that much about that specific nerve right there uh, is how much of it is there from person to person like is it a gen- genetic variant how much of a genetic variant is there or is, does everybody kind of have enough of it that we could hook, uh, hook into it
0: um, well, I know um, I spoke to one person who had been um, temporarily at least paralysed um, below a particular vertebra um, so he was stuck in a wheelchair for a while and um, And he managed to, well, what he said was uh, he sort of had some capability to move his legs slightly every now and then, but it was very hit and miss. Um, But, you know, it was obvious that there was too much nerve damage for them to ever allow him to walk again that way. So uh, he he managed to find out um, some method, I forget. um, I think it involved a TENS machine um, to... Uh, essentially f- force the uh, nerves to regrow around the problem. Hold um, on, I'm being, I'm
2: being called from elsewhere. But... Okay.
0: Right, okay. Um, does that mean we're pausing the whole podcast again, or are we continuing?
1: Well, I think we can we can continue, you know. I mean...
0: Well, yeah, but then he's not going to have heard half of what we said.
1: Well, I mean, we can always just uh, switch a little... Switch gears a little bit.
0: Ap- apologies. Oh, uh, all okay. Yeah, okay. I, I I I had That's to fine.
2: be told that to not be disturbed.
1: Okay, so I'm going to,
2: and you can splice there.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um. So what were we talking about again?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were we were last thing I heard. You was were about explaining a tens... something. Yeah. You, you're...
0: Oh yes, the tens yeah. machine. Yes, the tens machine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this this guy I was talking to, he said he'd used a tens machine on. Higher than designed voltage, um, and have managed to off, off the top of my head, I don't know. Um, a, a trans something or other electromagnetic um, neural stimulation. Oh, tra- transdermal, um,
2: probably. No trans. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I forget exactly, but it's something along those lines. But it's it's a device that is often used by those in chronic pain um, by turning up a certain voltage. Um, you can transcutaneous mediate. electrical
2: nerve stimulation. Okay, yeah
0: yeah yeah you can you can sort of mediate the pain and you can sort of uh, reset the nerves um so what this guy managed to do i looked up a picture uh,
2: of it my chiropractor used to use those on me to to kind of loosen up the muscles in my back before i would get adjusted this was before i got my surgery
0: okay well you should have remembered what one was then (laughs) i didn't know it was called that (laughs) all right um so anyway, uh, what this guy did is he uh, used one on higher-than-designed voltage. Um, he hacked it, essentially. Uh, and he found a way to get his nerves to uh, to sort of respond to that stimulation. Uh, and he says he thinks um, that around the damage uh, his neurons um, essentially reconnected to what had been the uh, neurons that would normally just go down to that bundle at the coccyx and would have, you know, Otherwise, been potentially usable for a prosthetic tail or whatever, uh, but in his case, uh, they've been repurposed into controlling his uh, legs again, and he had to kind of relearn how to walk. Huh. That's that's pretty amazing, actually.
1: The body is is full of surprises.
0: Yeah,
2: st- st- uh, stimulate forcibly stimulating nerve growth with the electrical impulses. I can see that working.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seemed that the the bundle of nerves that goes down to the coccyx wasn't damaged. Those particular yeah. nerves were still okay. Because
2: if nerves are receiving that many signals, they'll kind of recruit more or, you know, divide more to process those signals and in, in turn grow that nerve bundle.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, 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 they were near enough to the nerves that were affected and obviously managed to cross-connect somehow, makes new synapses. Yeah. The, f- the, fact, the fact that... So. The,
2: it, it, it's hard for me to to render precise judgment with, without knowing exactly where the severance was and how bad it was but that that yeah that's pretty amazing
1: also, freedom of form does not recommend overvolting your medical devices
0: <laughs> yeah uh, that's very true don't uh, don't, don't th- try the, the sound. foundation <laughs> is not actually recommending this i'm just telling a story of what i heard someone had managed to do and what i'm trying to get to by pointing this out is to say uh, sometimes you need to think a bit outside the box um, about how a device can be used um, in order to come up with a new advancement a new idea um, and that doesn't necessarily mean you should be testing it out uh, in quite such a potentially dangerous way um, but then he didn't have much choice in the matter anyway, he'd already lost movements of his yeah, legs he didn't so, have you know, much to lose he was he was in a position yeah. of thinking, yeah, what, what else could happen but like Obviously, he could have electrocuted himself and killed himself in the process. So you know, let's be reasonable so, here. But he knew he knew what voltages he was working yeah. with and what he felt he could get away with. He was turning it up gradually, so that that was on him. You know, that was his risk. That, that yeah, it, it's
2: amperage that that is damaging. So yeah,
0: I, I, I suggest you so, watch
1: the electro boom thing on that. The what? Yep, electro boom? Amperage versus voltage. Never heard of it? Uh, oh. it's a, a guy named. Madi Sadar, I want to say, on YouTube. Uh, basically, he's an electrical engineer that does YouTube videos on the side, and his videos are usually like him trying to solve uh, some sort of mundane problem. And
0: Yeah, I think kind of who you mean.
1: And then every, it's like he gets... Stuff either blows up, he gets electrocuted,
2: or...
0: Yeah.
1: You know, I, it's just like kind of like a what
2: not to do. But yeah, you can pass enough uh, voltage through your body to light up a uh, neon light that you're holding in one hand while the power source you're holding onto the power source in your
0: opposite hand. Um, I wouldn't recommend with neon, but possibly uh, a fluorescent tube. Yeah, tune. fluorescent, yes.
2: fluorescent tube, not neon, my bad. Um,
0: yes, as long as the,
2: the, is the amperage same. is low enough, you can pass as many volts as you want.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's something I've seen actually done in fields underneath high-voltage power lines, um, where there's enough leaking... Um, you know, energy in the atmosphere essentially from from these wires. Um, that if you hold a fluorescent tube under them, it will light up uh, because it's going through your body to the ground. I,
2: I know in my town um, there's actually a yeah. uh, a protest going on with those because they want to put up a whole bunch of those along the rail lines, and people are worried about the electromagnetic radiation coming off of them because they're they hear radiation and they think, you know. Damn.
0: and they think Chernobyl. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> they
2: think um,
1: ionizing stuff.
2: Yeah, they, they think ionizing radiation. Electromagnetic radiation is not gonna hurt you unless you're that one of the rare people that's that sensitive to it.
1: Or you're around a gamma source. Yeah. In which case if you're around a gamma source you should probably leave the area.
0: Yeah. Well that's that's ionizing radiation.
1: Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. You know, that's the only yeah. thing that that's the only bit of electromagnetic Spectrum that well, that, that and
0: X-rays, if, if you have enough of them, build up. Um, and UV. And, you know, for that matter, a lot of infrared or a lot of microwave. So basically everything oh, like. <laughs> everything is ionizing in some way, shape, or form. If, if you have enough but, of that. But something um, that is immediately yeah.
1: dangerous to life and health is generally gamma. Yeah.
0: Usually. Um, it, I mean, the funny thing with gamma rays is they can pass right through you um, and out the other side without doing anything. Um, it's just you know, if if enough of them pass through you, sooner or later, some of them are going to hit something inside you and cause damage to it.
2: Yeah, it, it's it's a probability distribution. Exactly. It's, a, it's so, a bit of a matter of luck, isn't it?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, well, it's always a matter
0: um, of luck. So there you go. <laughs> but anyway, th- this is a bit of a tangent, but um, I can I can actually re-rail us from here because gamma radiation may well damage the body particularly by damaging the DNA um, but this is where gene editing may well come in very handy um, if we have an ability to fix um, any mutations or problems uh, that have arisen in the body either caused by radiation or other things
2: or a custom design a protein that uh, protects the, the DNA from damage or re-engineer the uh, I forget what it what it's called offhand, but uh, the kind of spell checker for the DNA. God, I, can't yeah. remember. I, I feel so dumb because I'm like I should know this.
0: Sorry, uh, I've forgotten its name as well. Yeah,
2: but improve
0: <laughs> that thing. Yeah,
2: <laughs> uh, improve that protein's ability to correct errors, essentially. Yeah, you know,
0: um, that, error so that error. That would be one.
2: Yeah, obviously you're no, never going to get it uh, perfect, but if you could give it some kind of DNA memory of the, the last sequence it wrote, it read.
0: Hmm. Um, I mean, that, that's obviously helpful if it happens to be in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's various ways that we can look at the uh, genetic code and how it can be, uh, you know, organised to to keep good control of itself and that's um, something for another day because, you know, it's, it's a big, deep rabbit hole to jump into. Yeah,
2: it depends on whether you want resistance to radiation or just fix the damage at will. Cause it, um, it, indeed. It, it, unless you receive a very large dose, the, the effects are usually not immediately dangerous. It's long term stuff like... Uh, uh,
0: cancer yeah. organisms. So, uh, so obviously really what you want to do is to make sure that the body is capable of protecting itself um, as and when these things do yeah. happen.
2: And there's actually, in, in my studies, uh, one thing I learned is that humans actually, compared to other animals, like even elephants, that just don't get cancer, there's actually uh, several kill genes that will cause the the cell to apoptose if it's becoming cancerous.
1: That are, apoptose we, just means to die.
2: Yeah, to 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 selectively die and redistribute its contents to the other cells nearby, uh, and and break down its DNA as well, because it, the DNA is obviously damaged. Um, we don't have as many of those as other animals, other organisms, which is why we're so susceptible to cancer. Um,
0: that's possibly one reason. I, I forget the exact number, but things.
2: it was it was a. a at least a, a tenfold difference in the number of, from what I remember the,
0: It
1: sounds like sele- it like 3
2: know, to art- 52 or something like that If It I remember. sounds like our
1: artificial selection kind of accidentally dropped those
2: Yeah, so we, if we could add more of those in or even turn on latent ones, we could increase our resistance to cancer massively across the species
0: Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of potential um, in gene editing to deal with um, various um, genetic um, issues and uh, medical problems that arise from them. But um, it's also got a great deal of potential in uh, the field of freedom of form. So this is um, a, an area that I've really uh, approached um, the whole concept of freedom of form from in the first place. Uh, so, we, we could use gene editing um, to rewrite ourselves. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd like to um, just talk a bit about that now. If we can say that the the, you know, the human race um, as as a species has evolved over the last four million years or thereabouts, um, certainly the last one million years in in the most recognisable form that we see now, um, then. You know, that's, that's obviously come about through natural selection. It's taken its time to to refine itself from what was essentially just the great apes before. Um, and that evolution is still ongoing. You know, day by day, people are living, people are dying by whatever natural or otherwise um, impacts are occurring in life. You know, things that are selecting for people who are quicker, cleverer, or not so much or whatever, yeah. depending on where they are.
1: Well, whoever's the fittest, I think, is the phrase that...
0: Indeed. Survival of the fittest for, for the situation.
2: Yeah. Whoever reproduces more. That, that's the long and short of yeah. it. But...
0: Indeed. Um, which, obviously, in, in today's society, given the uh, distribution of, of people who are encouraged to uh, you know, be careful how much they reproduce versus those who are not, um, it, it does have some interesting implications. Well, um, I think, but... I
1: think there was an article that came out recently that average IQ in the Western world... Is
0: dropping.
2: Uh, it could be. I, I wouldn't be surprised. to hear that. then,
0: I must point out that IQ is not a very reliable measure of overall cleverness. Oh no 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 uh, no! no. I, I don't want to. I don't
1: want to say that. I'm just corroborating yeah. your uh, statement. You know, with
0: some. Uh, yeah, I mean it's. You know, if if you can find the, uh, you know, the, the reference to that as well, all the better. Sure. But. Um, You know, regardless of what's happening to IQ um, and, you know, people will argue over this philosophically for Yonks, I'm sure. Um, It's clear that that natural selection hasn't stopped, despite what some people will say. Um, It's very much alive and well and continuing in the human race. At the same time, uh, we have also adjusted what um, the selecting factors are that natural selection is using on us. Um, sometimes deliberately, but usually by pure accident, of trying to make our lives easier.
2: Yeah, m- most uh, most no, most uh, easily recognizable would be any kind of medical technology.
0: Indeed, um, but also agriculture, the fact that we're growing our own food and so we're able to, uh, you know, u- utilize... Vast areas of land just for the support of ourselves, using machinery to, uh, you know, make that easier, and of course travel, um, being able to go all over the world and meet each other in, within a lifetime, you know, anywhere in the world, uh, that has a vast impact on the genetic mixing yeah. potential.
2: Pe- people, people forming relationships and having kids from around the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. which is ultimately,
2: um, ultimately a good thing.
0: Mm-hmm. It is, in terms of um, making sure that the gene pool is healthy, for sure.
2: Yeah, nice and varied. Uh,
0: indeed, something that certain groups of people in this world don't seem to recognise, but that's their problem, not ours. The thing is, if, if you have such a, you know, a, a great and wonderful situation of, uh, of evolution ongoing, why is it um, therefore a problem if if people want to change themselves a bit more i don't see there being an issue with introducing more artificial selection when there's already been quite a few different artificial factors affecting um what so far has been random selection often natural in its origin um but not always
1: no but you know there are always be people out there that you know from regardless of where they are where they stand uh, will be against uh, what we what we do based off of a perceived fear of what you know does giving does someone that undergoes therapy you know I'm going to call it I'm going I'm going to call it therapies throughout regardless of you know what they actually are um, if someone that undergoes these therapies becomes smarter does that give me less of an advantage as someone that cannot afford or cannot do these kinds of things.
0: That sounds like um, the same kind of concern uh, that was raised a few hundred years ago by the Luddites when they saw mechanical looms. Um, they were very concerned that they would lose their jobs as hand weavers. Right, um, but and so... this
1: isn't necessarily Luddite. You know, this isn't exactly, you know, a Luddite sort of thing. This is you know it's it's the idea of um homo novus right the new human you know
0: people don't want to be obsolete exactly there's also people Um, that
2: have seem to have an ideological aversion to changing what um changing what's there after you're born which is the, the same reason that uh that same reason they give so much hate to, you know, tra- transgender individuals.
0: I see what you mean. Um, if if you're referring to, uh, yeah, the the kinds of people who are anti-trans, um, yeah. then yeah, they, they may have an aversion to that. Um, but I do think that they are in a minority overall. Thankfully. But they um, are also
1: a very loud minority. Yes. Do yes. not. Do not, sure. do not forget that there's there's everything from turfs to
0: religious cases. And they both get the same... I
2: didn't want to outright say it, but yeah, that's what I was going for. Sure.
0: But here's the thing. You take any of the potential methods we have for uh, becoming more uh, like our true selves and somebody's going to hate it. Um, If you take any technology at all, somebody's going to hate it um, for what it does to people, to society, to their particular jobs or their perception thereof.
2: It, it comes down so, to something I realized a long time ago is that there's always yeah. going to be people that fear change, that yeah, fear exactly.
0: the new. Exactly.
1: But, so, move but, that out of the way. Well, you know, there there is the idea, for a while, by the way, what I've realized is, is we just don't have a whole lot of means to assess the impacts of technology, right? Uh, for a while, there was...
0: Effort- <laughs> what you're saying is we don't have a crystal ball.
1: We don't have a crystal ball, sure, but you know there are certain things. Uh, for instance, in the nineties, in the late eighties and nineties, there's a, uh, a U.S. government office called the Office of Technology Assessment, and that was what they would do: is they would give, they were supposed to give Congress a non, uh, non non-biased. non-biased version of what they think a technology could do. So, for things yeah. like the internet. They would write up what what they believe this could do to the economy, society, that sort of stuff. Of course, that was sort of shut down in '96, I want to say, but right. you know, it, it just go that just builds into that. That's all I'm saying.
2: Given recent so, re- recent <laughs> l- lags with uh, the law of catching up with technology, it might be time to bring that back.
1: <laughs> right, but but there's always going to be a lag between. A, a technology's introduction and what the law does. Right. The best thing. The best thing that we can do is to ensure that when we deploy this technology, whatever that may be, that we do it in the most fair and equitable way we can, and don't give the government any real reason to come down hard.
0: Yeah. Now, bear in mind, um, I, I know you're making it sound like you're trying to sort of wrap us up to a close of the conversation there, um, but we did have our big intermission in between, so I'm actually... Oh, no, no, no I, and I, I wasn't so going to
1: try to wrap it up. I was just mentioning right. the fact that, you know, you know, we, we shouldn't... The, the best way to avoid harsh action is don't do anything harsh.
0: Well, <laughs> sometimes... Um, you know, you, you put in a situation where you're either damned if you do, or you're damned if you don't. I agree. Um, and I feel like freedom of form is very smack bang in the middle of that kind of, uh, scenario, because if, if we do not, um, do what we can to, uh, use our ideas and, and technology and our social momentum and everything else to, um, to allow these technologies to be used freedom form purposes and to, to encourage them uh, in that direction uh, then I feel they will be used against it instead in, in quite um, authoritarian ways um, I, I can see a lot of potential unfortunately for misuse of, of uh, these kinds of technologies um, by you know potentially greedy actors uh, be they for governments corporations or whatever in the future that may want to uh, use them as a tool of oppression and therefore we need
1: to ensure so. as Moral as a nonprofit, uh, we need to ensure that we have things to address said misuse, and, um, and also what, that
2: we can get it into everybody's hands. Exactly, that's, that's more the being, point yeah, I was aiming for. Prevent it from being locked up by people. No right, yeah, want to yeah and, it. and
1: you know, minimize, lower the walls as low as you can.
0: Indeed, um, by making sure that um, the technologies that we develop are available to everybody. Um, and they are uh, released on a very altruistic and equal footing, um, we can prevent there being uh, a chance for it to be um, monopolized by particular individuals seeking to uh, use it to harm society. So. I mean, obviously, we, we can't guarantee it won't be used in some way that harms society by somebody or other down the line. If they get hold of it um, and have other ideas, you know, that's that's on them. But at least if it's available to everybody, then we've half a chance of countering whatever they do. Yeah,
2: it, it, it's, um, it's the thing where. It's if, a genie that, yeah.
0: that will be out of the bottle and, you know, come what may. Because even if we don't, um, as a group, work on these technologies, somebody else will. There, there's two
2: points I want to make off of that, which is one, that even if that happens, I would think that the good outcomes would outweigh the bad in terms of the impact. And two, that, especially it with gene editing, like let's say someone uses it to create a bioweapon or something, that same tool could easily be used to widely to widely distribute immunity to that.
0: Yes. To, to, yeah.
2: to essentially also shut down the bad actor in, in the same way, there's
1: there's a lot of dual-purpose technology.
2: Yeah. yeah, where it yeah. it is both the it's the sword and shield against, against itself. Yes, to ensure that nothing goes crazy.
0: Absolutely. So that's um, good to bear in mind when you look at the likes of gene editing. Um, now I've got a lot of um, sort of research that, that I've, I've been going through um, on the subject for uh, for gene editing i feel it's um actually to me personally the most viable um method in terms of bringing about uh, a complete solution yeah for freedom of form um where you're not um having to tack together various other things or having with, to with, uh, uh do repairs manually yeah, over with, time
2: with, with, with surgery or prosthetics or any, anything like that there's always going to be some kind of interface both figuratively and literally uh, mm-hmm. that prevents it from being a smooth intermeshing there's there's always going to be an interface between the, the tissue and the the mechanics or the, the tissue and the other tissue if it's a you know like a, an an yeah and there's also going going to be that that barrier in terms of uh how it's attached and how the body is able to control it because it's just unless it's grown from the body itself it's not going to be perfect
0: and if it's surgical or bioprinting or something along those lines um you know an implant for that matter uh, it can be quite an invasive process actually indeed having it added in the first place and quite possibly painful too yeah uh depending so you know there's a lot of um Uh, There's a lot of caveats to add to to those particular approaches. Um, When it comes to gene editing, I'm sure it will have its negatives as as well, you know, including plenty of ethical ones uh, to consider. Um, And my gosh, we have considered them over the years. Uh, Everywhere you go, babies. Everything you go in
1: this kind of field is just ethics, 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 and oh, I know how it should be, really and truthfully. Yes, you know. I mean, they're already what? They're already starting to do designer babies in China, I think.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's it's something that, that like I said, you know, if if we don't do it, somebody else will anyway. Um, now, I've I've deliberately avoided um, encouraging in any way designer babies because I do think that the the correct way forward, if if you want to um, to have a furry child, for example, you know, if, if you're a pair of anthropomorphic foxes or whatever other species, you know, horses or whatever you, um, you know, you, you are a pair of them first yourselves. You, you transform yourselves first. You try it out as adults. Uh, you use your brains and you use the simulation on, uh, you know, computer first of, of what's going to happen even before you, you apply it to yourselves. But, even then, you know, you still live with it as as yourself before you subject it to any child that you have. And the only way you should be subjecting it to a child you have um, then is, you know, is in a way that the child is, is born as a combination of what you've become. And I think that's because if the child is, is born as a human or of parents that have transformed into something else... There's and, going to be a lot of confusion. You
2: know, a lot of it,
0: I, Yeah, there's going to be confusion. The child's going to be like, well, hang on. Uh, You know, do do they are they not proud of what they've become? Are are they are they kind of ashamed of themselves? Um, What what does this give as a message to your child? Um, Or you know, are are your parents proud of what they've become, and they they have you as a child who is is like them? Um, You're together more as a family. That's kind of my approach to it. But you know, there's there's two sides to that coin. I've also heard. Oh, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I've also heard the argument against it, where it's like, oh, but you're forcing those changes upon the child. Well. If the parents change themselves in the first place, then once the child is that old means. enough to be able to, to use the technology, they can change themselves however they wish. They, don't, they're not locked, they wouldn't be locked into that form themselves.
1: I still want to know, like, mixed species couples. I mean... I, 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 I had some ideas for that. Plausible. It, 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 I it
2: mean Yeah. Go ahead. I had some ideas uh-huh. for that, and it involved using the... It's essentially, genetically using the human form as a a kind of genetic base, so that the animal traits could intermix freely.
1: I mean, you would think that, right? You know, I mean, look how much just less than one percent changes between humans, right? Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you do, you know, when you start messing around with, uh, you know, specific genes and all that sort of stuff, you can. There's chances that things can happen, right? Yeah, which like, is
2: which is why you'd want to uh, why you want to, to mean, simulate the yeah. entire
0: body. I, yeah.
1: I think. I also think you know we're going to be finding if you know if we're successful. I think we're going to be finding out about problems that were never problems in the first place, like dealing with, like you know, like think about it. I I, I overthink the mundane, right? Just like. Imagine you go into a store, you know, the doors open, and then they close, but you haven't gotten your tail through. So the doors would just have to be held open for that little bit longer. You know, uh, we, we discussed car airbags. You know, like if one part of your face is hitting an airbag before the other parts, you could probably end up pretty easily with a broken snout.
2: Oh, every uh, that's a good one.
0: Uh, well, can I point out that the one about automatic doors, it's a bit of a meme that keeps surfacing sort of again and again. They've but already stay open set... for a very
2: long time, to be honest.
0: Yes, every set of automatic doors I've been through, it doesn't just stay open for a long time, but it stays open until you've stepped at least, like, four feet oh, away. yeah.
1: Well, how about the manual door, then? Closing it on your tail? I mean...
0: Well, why would you, though? W-
2: where it has a... Well, the doors that have a, uh, spring... a spring or a pneumatic... Piston. A closer on them. Yeah. You well, <laughs> just...
0: Or, or just you forgetting about because you're so used to not having to worry about it. Well, obviously, you'd get used to having a tail pretty damn quick that way, wouldn't you? <laughs> No, no, but I'm just saying, you know, you're
1: used to, You walk through the door, you open it, and then you go to reach back and you close it. You you know, you forget, you know, like, just like that brief l- lapse of uh, awareness. And then you're, like, on the ground clutching it. Ow. <laughs>
0: Well, I'll tell you now. That's not going to happen to me because I've, for the last eleven years, uh, essentially lived as if I have a tail. You know, I've always sat with enough space around me for one. I've always moved in such a way as, like, if I had a tail, it would pull through 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 that door space before the door shuts. You know, I've got very <laughs> used to that.
1: Yeah, but it does take a bit to get used to, right?
0: Sure. So like, you know, whoever's wanting to apply these changes to themselves should really prepare themselves first, you know, think about it, um, kind of mentally build up an image of, of how that applies to their body um, and how it will feel before they actually do it. I mean, especially
2: especially in the early stages, it's if it even is reversible, it probably won't be easy. So it's like, it's not something that, not a deci- decision that should be made lightly by any means.
1: Yeah, and we also yeah. need to understand, you know, what stresses the human body can withstand, and these kinds of things. Because, you know, I can imagine there'd be a few, like the immune system, not particularly
0: liking. Oh, indeed.
2: Yeah. That that um, also comes well, down to the timescale of the transformation. Of, of,
0: yes, the the, the transformation. Uh, in fact, you've raised a good point there. Um, it's it's essential um, if you're doing a genetic transformation of the body um particularly, you know, to, to include such major changes. Uh, if you um incorporate all of the uh all of the cells in the body. Sorry, if you if you change the DNA in all of the cells of the body rather. Um because if you just change the DNA in some of them, you're not going to um have the same DNA everywhere in the body. So that's wherever you're different fingers DNAs fingers. meet. That's yeah, that, that, that's where you get autoimmune disorders. Exactly.
2: Yeah, um,
1: it's so, exactly. It's kind of what we we yeah. don't want.
2: On, on that note, it it probably one of the first things you'd want to have change or is the immune system to ensure that it will not reject both your existing cells and the cells you're going to have ahead of time.
1: Isn't the immune system notoriously tricky to work with? Because it, it... yes,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Yes. <laughs>
1: Because it needs to recognize what cells are wrong, and what the cells immune are-
0: system, in 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 essence, has its own little code as well that kind of runs parallel to the genetic code um, that it uses for designing it, its antibodies. Yeah, it, it, it's
2: a learned memory rather than an inherited memory, but it's still molecularly encoded.
0: Yeah, so that is um, its own little set of rules.
2: Very little, if, if any, from my knowledge of the the nervous. Or the ner- the immune system has to do with nerve signals. It's mostly all automatic effects based on cellular interactions and molecular signaling, to my knowledge.
1: Yeah, it's 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 from what I've gathered, it's mainly chemical.
2: Yeah, exactly. Especially yeah, antibody it's... production.
0: So, sorry, you're mixing up ne- uh, neurons and um, immune cells there a bit. No, no, no oh, I, I, I'm
2: it. saying that I'm about... the nervous system has. V- has, to my knowledge, very little effect on the immune system. So it's oh, almost yeah. all
1: yeah. Chemical, and, and I was just saying, yeah, it was mainly chemical signals.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, the 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 nervous system doesn't really um, control the immunity as such now, but what it can have an effect on is um, the presence of stress um, stress regulators in different cells, and yeah. Um, there's there's various um, stress hormones that get produced that. Um, Trigger pathways, um, which cause cells to act differently to how they would otherwise, uh, and those tend to also put the immune system on heightened alert. Um, although it can eventually fatigue from that. Yeah. So, that can be why you know people who are very stressed out end up getting ill, either from autoimmune disorders or from their immune system essentially wearing itself out from being on heightened alert all the time, and then then catching an ordinary disease.
2: But yeah, essentially you'd want to train the immune system to not attack the new cells while also maintaining recognition of existing cells while the transformation is going on.
1: At the same time, defending against any... uh, Anything else. Anything Anything
0: else. I mean, really, what we want to do is is as much as possible You could also use it as a
2: Sure. You can also use it as a tool for uh, kind of trimming out the old parts as you along, but that that might be very tricky.
0: Right. Uh, what I was trying to say is, as much as possible, we want to have it be like um, a, a, like a waiter pulling the tablecloth out from under the plates on the table, um, and you know, and all the wine glasses and everything. They don't spill. They don't tip over. Everything stays upright. Um, we need we need it to be so simultaneous that it's like that so yeah. like the system doesn't notice that it's been changed it just starts working on the new instructions instead
1: mm-hmm. uh, you know the the main issue i guess how would you do that you know one of the it's things basically I've always to, thought,
0: to, to get everything to, to synchronize hormonally
1: well the other thing that's possible and also much riskier is just wipe the immune system out
2: no that, that, that sounds like a horrifically bad idea i mean uh,
0: but you know that, just, is, that rebuild is what it. they do with with cancer um essentially by chemotherapy and radiotherapy um and you know the state it puts people into it can kill them by itself sometimes but yeah, it's certainly not something that i would want people to have to live through in order to transform
1: yeah uh, well no no, no. I, I mean just tear it down and build it back up basically is what i was saying yeah, but that,
0: that, that's what even in the, therapy does. Yeah,
2: even in the interim, that's going to be very dangerous.
1: I, I'm not disagreeing, I'm just saying that, that
2: that's... It's an know. idea, but it's one it, I wouldn't necessarily... It would
1: be probably something of last resort.
2: Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing I'm thinking is if you do want to change the immune system first, you probably want then to do the entire transformation not as one vector, but as separate vectors to allow The immune system changes to take hold, and then go for the transformative vector.
0: Yeah, but if um, it it depends. um, Yeah, it
2: it really depends. There's a lot of wiggle room in execution.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if you tell the body that too many um, things are self, um, then it's not going to be able to block non-self things sufficiently. So. Antigens that happen to look similar to human cells uh, May currently cause certain Diseases in humans because they look similar to human cells um, And therefore be very difficult for antibodies to be generated against Um, Likewise in some animals you'd get a similar situation with antigens that look similar to them if you were to set the immune system so that it allowed both the old and the new cell types from before and after the transformation, you may be opening the door a bit too wide and allowing you know combinations of diseases to occur at the same time that wouldn't have happened before that might be sufficient to kill you.
2: That's fair point.
0: So uh, I am very sort of um, strongly willed towards keeping the immune system as tight as we can uh, and having it be as instantaneous a change as possible. It obviously depends on what the uh, metabolic capabilities of the body are around the transformation because you don't want to just use up all the resources in one go. You want to be able to, you know, have it, have it so that whatever it's doing in each cell to change the DNA, um, it's, um, you know, it's, it's doing it slowly enough that the body can keep up in terms of producing molecules and things like that, that it needs, um, but it's doing it quickly enough that the immune system doesn't notice.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it, again, it's going to be. The immune system, I can see, is going to be like that one guy that is just going to be throwing wrenches. It'll be like patches in that movie Dodgeball. Just keeps throwing them.
0: Right.
2: <laughs>
1: There's your obscure early 2000s reference for the podcast.
2: Oh, my God.
1: <laughs>
2: you can dodge a wrench. You could dodge it.
1: Anybody? You can dodge a ball. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. But you know, like one of the things that would be pretty interesting is, you know, we can do the genetics, but you could combine that with bioprinting with the new with you know, with whatever the new cells are gonna be, right?
0: And um, you could I don't you think could, that's strictly necessary. Because if you can genetically uh, encode instructions into the body, you can give it instructions to grow whatever you need it to grow, including more bone, cartilage, um, other structures. So, you know, it just then depends on how fast you can tell it to grow things and how strong they become as a result of growing at whatever speed. You can, so also,
2: I th- you can also grow a uh, temporary organ to churn out samples of the... To be cells to train the immune system at, that they are self.
0: I uh, don't know about doing it particularly that way round, but we could certainly um, add an organ to to churn out the uh, the vector um, yeah, itself that's, self, yeah, so to get that yeah. to every single cell. Yeah, because um, it's unlikely that a single
2: injection is going to yeah. get everything. You'd want the body producing the vector hmm. itself until it's fully spread.
0: But if you're sending sample cells to the immune system, it's probably just going to kill them.
2: Yeah, it, it depends how you do it.
1: You would have to. You'd, you'd probably target lymph nodes and those sorts of or, things. Or
2: route the route some of the immune system. Th- I'm trying to think of how you would do this. It, you,
1: whatever, you, whatever it is, it's probably going to be something that fifty guys in a lab are going to work on.
0: Well, yeah. with, with well, far more
1: specialized knowledge than what we can offer here. That's (laughs) all I'm saying.
0: Look, if you're talking about the Freedom of Form Foundation's perspective itself, um, you know, that's fair enough. Um, From the perspective of the wider kind of scientific um, ability, uh, I think, initially, yes, you're going to need a lab, you're going to need a bunch of scientists, and they're going to need to work on producing tools, which are um, capable of, of handling the complexities of you know gene editing and, and of producing the vectors for it. Um, in the, the end goal of those people, though, should be to produce tools that anybody in the end can um, understand and use themselves without needing um, to have a degree or a PhD or whatever in biological sciences or biochemistry. And right. So the, the, it should be to the point where it's very intuitive and makes a lot of sense and, and has uh, enough um, automation in how it makes its decisions that you're comfortable using it uh, but you've still got enough freedom to uh, you know to, to, to tell it exactly what you want and for it to produce exactly what you want um, to the best of its ability as, as a set of tools um, to match your requirements so coming from this is
1: gonna be my perspective on that sort of thing and I think we touched on this before in other chats so coming from someone with a more legal mind you know talking about home you know allowing people at home to do these sorts of things you know, we, we have enough trouble as is trying to get people to take correct dosages of medicine.
2: Adherence you're talking about?
1: Yeah, and, and we want to get, in. you know, from my perspective, it'll have to be done. I, I would much rather it be done at some sort of clinic under the trained eye of a medical professional who can administer the treatment, the, administer the doses, let's call it that just for the sake of argument, that can administer the doses can diagnose anything that goes wrong, can pull samples, can send it back to the lab to ensure everything is going good, and not just have it a completely homemade process.
2: Or take someone's some I... self-designed vector and, and verify. Yeah, so, you know, if, if
1: something is going wrong, you know, it's much easier to correct that All rather right. than someone two or three Three months later coming in with something very obviously wrong and then you're having to do a mm-hmm. much bigger fix
0: now the, the thing about that that really concerns me is you've got potentially millions of people around the world wanting to use these technologies you know a lot of them are just wanting to do it for, for medical reasons you know to get rid of genetic disorders um but some of them also for freedom of form purposes and you know th- this is not going to be something that like once it's applied to everybody, that's it, they're all cured and solved. There's always going to be somebody who wants to do something else, who's forgotten something and wants to add something to themselves, etc. So you're going to have a lot of new treatments being created for individual people, personalized um, in a degree. Well, calling it personalized medicine is, is kind of sideways from it because it's not really medicine so much as it is. A rewrite of your genes and I'm not sure if that really counts as medicine because it's not a chemical that you're putting in That's personalized
2: therapy let's put it that way yeah uh, I I, I don't want to use the word cosmetic but
1: a lot of it well what we're talking about you know especially well no especially with the uh, um, you know interbreeding that sort of stuff that would definitely be cosmetic you know it would it would just be a hardwired cosmetic surgery more or less
0: Uh, Well, it depends on um, how well-versed your legal eagles are um, when they come to define this sort of thing in the actual scientific um, perspectives and angles um, of of what, you know, of of how it's all put together, uh, you know, the technical details. Um, Because these things are important. When, When you look at genes and how you can edit them, it's essentially the... Rule book that the body is using to control every um, process, every function that it has, uh, including how it builds itself in the first place and keeps itself maintained. So, if you're rewriting some of those rules, yes, you've got to know how to rewrite them correctly, but if you have the right tools that give you um, a, a translation between English and you know, genetic legalese, then you are in a good position to say, you know, I want a tail, and it translates that into genetic code. Uh, but it more to the point does so in a way that goes via checking does this affect any other systems? Does this um, have any impact on your metabolism? Does this um, change the way you walk? Does it um, impact your, um, you know, integrity of your spine and uh, how strong you you can be uh, how fast you can run uh, anything else Um, it needs to take into account everything about how your body works and functions so before we get to the point where we are saying uh, this has to be done in labs or whatever um, let's first get to the point where we have the tools um, which are capable of uh, really simplifying these matters and then we can say do we actually need a lab because if everybody had to go to a lab to get their genetic edits done and you have got millions of people wanting it to be done then surely they're going to um, all have all these personalized therapies medicines whatever we're trying to call them and that's going to be a massive strain on the regulatory framework, you know, or, or, or indeed on the scientists themselves in the labs, you know, suddenly yeah, especially a huge in the early days, workload in their tray. Yeah. yeah. Well,
1: don't, don't, the thing is, is when it comes to those kinds of things, they're going to regulators are going to prioritize based off of uh, need and economic status.
0: Which immediately means that only the richest people, who are, um, you know, in or the most desperate, the, yeah, or, yeah, or the most desperate, or the, those, those basically who have the most money and the most need of, you know, solving a, a particularly nasty disease or whatever, are going to actually get anything done, because everybody else is going to be too low down in the queue to ever be seen. So, Initially,
1: more than likely, what they would do is they would just rotate, put you on a rotation. You know?
0: <laughs> Perhaps. Um, it it depends on how sensible the people are in the regulatory bodies, but at the end of the day, we're not guaranteeing through that, that you're going to be able to actually transform yourself within your lifetime and it isn't going to be technology that's holding you back. It's just going to be bureaucracy.
1: Well, don't forget also that this would have an immense implication on healthcare spending as well. They would probably want to get it out as to as many people as possible. And the reason is, is because chronic long-term care is the most expensive care. Hmm. So there is great incentive for bureaucracies to deploy it as quickly and efficiently as possible. Because that saves the taxpayer money.
0: In my experience, whenever bureaucracies have a great incentive to speed up, they find a way to slow down.
1: <laughs> well... We could argue that, but the point is is that if you you are basically promising the end of uh you're basically promising the end of expensive long term care. the people that would be the most interested in getting rid, rid of that are not the governments
0: however the there would be a significant industrial um uh, opposition to uh, that kind of technological breakthrough That's um, the, yeah I was I was trying to yeah. allude to that yeah if you have pharmaceutical industries and care industries and, you know healthcare um, uh, cosmetics industries and a whole lot of other people essentially lobbying against allowing an easy ride for these kinds of technologies uh, particularly against um yeah, than being approved quickly. Then it's you know they're they're obviously going to be arguing that there should be a level playing field between you know the pharmaceutical approach and the genetic approach at the very least. If you know even if they can't get rid of the genetic approach altogether. Well, the other thing that
1: you can do is if you can't beat it, and
0: just license it out. No 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 okay fine yeah
1: you know there's just there's that option from the standpoint of you know every you know all the avenues have been blocked you know that, that that's just that's what i was getting at if all the you know if we've been if we're being so pessimistic on trying to do the healthcare
0: stuff you know i ain't being pessimistic what that, i'm saying here is that the that the, the, the Industries would potentially have that um, effect on a bureaucratic regulatory model if you are going down the route of saying that we can't um, make this available as a tool um, and then allow people to obtain that tool in order to, you know, work on it, refine it themselves, and figure out how to use it for themselves. <laughs>
1: I think we may have to agree to disagree on distribution for now. But again, we were talking about distribution of something that is further down the line and, you know, is, you know, and we're we would be quite unsure about the final form that it would take.
2: Uh, I I have to go, so I'll I'll say goodbye for now.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for joining us and have a lovely evening. Bye-bye.
2: Thanks for having me. Bye-bye.
0: Okay, so um we have we've, we've sort of talked our way around uh, most of the things to do with that now anyway um i think we're coming towards think, a close
1: i think we are we're we've uh, uh, reached a point of uh continued discussion for later
0: somewhat um so i mean we've we've gone through a lot of different subjects there uh technologies that we could potentially work with i would like our listeners to uh, you know mention if there's other uh approaches as well that we, we may have forgotten to uh, bring up in this particular episode um and your own thoughts you know they're always welcome um we've spent a great deal of time thinking about um how to approach these different technologies and of course every time we discuss them we think of a bit more so it, there's there's always something new to mention but uh, there's also quite a lot of ground already covered in our different um uh, groups and companies and uh yeah, amongst the staff at the Freedom of Form Foundation. So thank you for joining me this evening, um Matthew.
1: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: And have yourself a lovely time. Uh until next time. Goodbye everyone. Goodbye. Stay floofy. <laughs> <laughs>